0: Hello, I'm Leila Kazim, and welcome to this podcast interview on a day well spent, my best-selling Substack for people seeking pathways to purposeful living. In today's conversation, I speak to Charlie Morley. Charlie is a lucid dreaming teacher and best-selling author who helps people wake up in their dreams and harness the power of sleep for psychological growth. Charlie formally became a Buddhist at the age of 19 and he has been lucidly dreaming for over 20 years. He was authorised to teach lucid dreaming within the Kagyu School of Tibetan Buddhism back in 2008. Since then, he's written four books and has run workshops and retreats in more than 30 countries. Charlie lives in London, next door to the Buddhist centre with his mini dachshund called Waffles and it's in his apartment where we had this chat. I came across one of Charlie's books on lucid dreaming a few years ago, and I have since found the subject and the potential of it for personal fulfilment and growth to be completely fascinating and such an untapped resource. And so I really hope you enjoy this interview with Charlie as much as I do. Charlie, hello. Hello. How lovely to meet you. You too. I want to just explain how it is I came across your work. I somehow got hold of your book. And I know you've written a couple of books about lucid dreaming. Mm -hmm. I think it was the lucid dreaming made easy Mm and beginner's guide to waking up in your dream. Through a recommendation and I was taking a flight to Italy Mm -hmm. and I basically consumed this book within the three hours. I swallowed it whole and I actually practiced some of the things that you suggested in the book to Mm -hmm. make yourself dream lucidly during my travel to the hotel in Rome. And that night, I actually woke up in my dream and became lucid. Wow. Yeah, and and from that experience, I thought, wow, there is something in this. And so for this first ever audio interview Mm -hmm. for my subsac, A Day Well Spent, for People Seeking Pathways to Purposeful Living, you were the first person who came to mind. Brilliant. Because I just thought it would be so great if my audience could hear more about what it is you do Mm -hmm. and the power of lucid dreaming through your actual voice. So I just want to say thanks so much for agreeing to this.
1: Thank you. And thank you for doing the techniques and seeing the manifest. Yes. that's the cool thing about lucid dreaming, right? You you get this concrete evidence of results. You do it and then, wow, I'm either remembering more dreams or when it really works, oh, I actually became conscious in the dream and then I could direct it and guide it. Mm. So I
0: think let's start with... What exactly is lucid dreaming?
1: Yeah, so a lucid dream is any dream where you're consciously aware of the fact that you're dreaming as the dream is happening. This awareness or this reawakening of self-reflective consciousness within the dream is not accompanied by any physiological awakening. So basically, you are still asleep. You're sound asleep, but in the dream, you've gone, oh, wow, this is all a dream. Whoa, so my body's asleep in bed right now. I'm inside my mind. This is all a huge three-dimensional virtual reality simulation made of my own psychology, and I get to choose what to do. I mean, it's, it's the, the reason why most people, and I think with your first lucid dream too, last about 10 seconds is because it's so exciting. You think it's going to be like, you know how in movies when they show dream sequences and they do like soft focus and dry ice? It's nothing like that. If you wanted to show the difference between non-lucid and lucid dreaming, you'd go from like standard definition to full whatever it is, 4K, HD, hyper-definition. It's like so bright, it's so amazing. Uh, so naturally we get super excited and wake up. A lot of my job actually is helping people to stay calm in the moment, calm enough to go, oh, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. <gasps> wow, okay, and now what do I wanna do? I can call forth my inner child and work with you know childhood trauma. I can transform my nightmares. I can, I mean, this is one's cool. I can practice my athletic discipline and get better at it in the waking state. Loads of science on that. Um, work with post traumatic stress disorder. Again, loads of science on that. Um, do your spiritual practice. Over a thousand years of practice in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, the Toltec Mexica shamanic traditions of uh, what was then the Mexica, now is called Mexico, um, in the Sufi tradition, you know, long traditions. And also, you can just have fun you know you want to fly about have sex with movie stars you can do that too so
0: i i reckon a lot of people have probably become lucid in their dreams at some point in their lives probably you know maybe the first time was as a child and they didn't even know there was a term for it i reckon i i have a handful of times yeah so and it's that thing of i know that i am asleep mm-hmm. and i know that this is a dream this is quite cool my next question is why is lucid dreaming something we would want to be doing more of Mm. and and this is I know what you cover in your books and your courses and your teachings but like what's so great about it
1: sure firstly I'd like to say the thing you mentioned about kids so we've got science on this you know two Harvard studies uh, they were looking at children age 6 to 16 whether it begins earlier who knows uh, when The scientists were asked. They said because kids, uh, children under the age of six, find it difficult to distinguish between what do they dream about and just what do they like. But around the age of six, they start to know. Okay, when I close my eyes, you know, at night, this is my dream. So it could be earlier than that. But uh, they concluded that lucid dreaming is a spontaneous phenomena of childhood brain development. So lucid dreaming is something that comes factory installed. Uh, Not in every child every night, but for children, lucid dreams, like multiple lucid dreams, are natural. So people listening to this have almost certainly had dozens of lucid dreams in their lifetime, uh, but they may have forgotten how and and forgotten when. And it reminds me of the quote from Picasso, you know, he said, every child's born an artist, the adult's job is to remember how. It's like, yeah, every child is born a lucid dreamer. We kind of, we lose it. And if you look at the time we start to lose it, the time when a lot of children start to lose their creativity, when they're kind of pushed into mainstream education and mainstream ways of thinking, uh, some people seem to make it through with a spontaneous ability to lucid dream. I'd say a very rough estimate, maybe one in 100 people, I'd say, are natural lucid dreamers uh, who will listen to this and go, oh, I do that every night. Mm-hmm. And for those natural lucid dreamers, those one in 100 who are listening now, first of all, brilliant. That is so cool. Secondly, the question I always ask is, what do you do in your lucid dreams? And often for natural lucid dreamers, they say, oh, nothing. I just let like, know I'm dreaming. And I might kind of choose to change a bit if I don't like it. Um, And that's completely natural. And also, wow, what a gift that they've got that they haven't fully unwrapped yet. Mm. Because once you're lucid, the kind of elevator pitch is anything you can treat through hypnotherapy, you can treat through lucid dreaming. So you could use it for uh, trauma work. You could use it for uh, mental preparation. You could use it for phobias. You could use it for uh, PTSD. You could use it for um, uh, kind of childhood programming that's been installed that you want to kind of... uh, Hypnosis, how and be kind of uninstall it from from the mind, and a lot of those things lead into what lucid dreaming is used for.
0: What I remember when I was reading your book, one of the things that really appealed to me was when you spoke about using your time asleep to answer big questions you might have. Yeah. For example, because you know they say all answers lie within, mm. but it's about How do you access the answer within yourself? Because it probably is in there what you should do. But how how do you get to that? So if you've got a big question like, should I move country or should I?
1: Yeah, what career path should I take is one people often use. Yes,
0: that's what really appealed to me and I think would appeal to many people because we all have. Yeah, we we all come to these sorts of crossroads. What shall I do? Yeah. And who do you go to ask? You can ask yourself. Yeah. Do you, have a, do you have personal examples of where you've used the lucid dreaming practice to answer <laughs> some big questions? Yeah, the
1: most personal one is actually how I ended up in this career path. Um, so, this is a cool one. So, this would be what's called a dream plan, which is basically planning what to do in your first or next lucid dream before you're lucid. As you found in your lucid dream, you do the practice, you get like, oh, dream, oh, dream, oh, this is so cool, boom, and you wake up.
0: You
1: wake up. Uh, so, it's a really good idea to plan when I get lucid, what am I going to do? So then as soon as you're lucid, inner child, come to me. Or what career path should I take, you know, to engage the dream plan? So you'd make a dream plan uh, asking a big question. You know, my next lucid dream, I'll become lucid and I will call out to the dream, not to the dream characters. The dream characters are tiny representations of your psyche. This is one of the things that the film Inception got a lot of things wrong. Mm. One thing that got right was the fact that the kind of uh, inhabitants of your dream are these almost like extras, you know, supporting artists. And they often won't give you clear answers. But if you become lucid and call out to the dream itself, it's like you're calling out to your kind of higher self, if you like, your larger consciousness. That idea of the iceberg of consciousness, you know, top 10% conscious, beneath the surface, 90% of your power lies. It's a bit like you're in the iceberg now. So when you ask a question, it's the 10% asking the 90%. So often the answer you get will be based on these huge amounts of data that the unconscious has access to. I don't even think it's anything mystical. You know, Some people think, oh, I'm channeling God in the lucid dream. Maybe, or maybe it's if you met yourself at full potential, you would call it divine. It would seem like divine guidance because it would be so big. So you'd become lucid and call out to the dream, what career path should I take? And I did that. Um, how long have I been doing this? 15 years. So I did that 13 years ago, I reckon. I'd been teaching lucid dreaming for a couple of years. Uh, I couldn't do it full time. I wasn't making any money from it. So I still had my, it was like a side hustle. You know, my main job was actually putting on breakdance events. I was in like a moderately successful hip hop crew uh, that put on breakdance events. And we did workshops with young people during the day, uh, during the days, and then did big events on the weekends. And I was having, oh yeah, I was having these anxiety dreams um, of these like big, um, what's it called, tsunamis coming in the dream. And I was feeling this kind of pressure, this anxiety. Like, oh, I've got this thing that I love so much. And my Buddhist teachers like authorized me to teach it. But I just can't let go of this other career. You know, I don't feel stable enough. So in one of these kind of recurring anxiety dreams, this massive wall of water came towards me. And I became lucid. I was like, oh, it's a tsunami dream. I I, I keep dreaming about that. Oh, I'm dreaming now. I'm dreaming now. So the tsunami came towards me and I was fully lucid. And I just stood there and let it wash over me and then like body surfed it. And I was like, you know, the symbolism of body surfing, this kind of anxiety inducing wall of water. And I thought that was it. I thought, oh, that's my shadow integration. That's great. But then I kind of just landed. The water subsided. And often when you've got the punchline in a lucid dream, your unconscious mind will kind of intentionally wake you up as if it wants you to now consciously reflect. But I didn't wake up. So I just there in the dream wet. And I was like, this is weird. Usually the dream would end at this point, but I was still fully lucid, fully aware. And I thought, oh, yeah, so that like, and this is the cool thing. If you're into dream interpretation, you can interpret your dreams while you're in them. So I remember being in the lucid dream going, oh, so that wall of water was my anxiety, wasn't it? Because I'm worried about, you know, not being able to pay the rent with lucid dream, this kind of stuff. So I'm kind of considering this in the dream. Then I thought, oh, I should do my dream plan. So I call out to the dream, What career path should I take? Should I be a lucid dreaming teacher or should I do Throwdown? Throwdown was the name of the hip hop crew. So like this long statement, I call out the dream. And as I call it out, as soon as I finish, the dream is going, whoop, and instantly changes. And suddenly I'm in the downstairs, like the ground floor of a two-story house. I never went upstairs, but I knew it was two-story house. I'm on the ground floor at a cocktail party. And I was like, what the hell, you know, what's this got to do with my lucid dream? Uh, with my the question I asked. And then I noticed that the people at this cocktail party, some of them look normal, but some of them are these really larger than life characters. Like there's this guy who looks like between a vicar and a Buddhist monk. He's in like Buddhist monk robes, but they're white and he looks kind of like a Christian vicar. Um, And then there's this other guy in the corner who's like doing shots of like vodka or something and making loads of noise. And I was like, these people are like so big like in the energy and then i realized i was like whoa they're my archetypes they're like internal archetypes so first of all i go to the um the one that's like the vicar and the buddhist monk cross uh like combined and i go um what should i do with my life should i do throwdown or should i be a lucid dreaming teacher and he looked at me and like put his hands here and bowed and went lucid dreaming up you should be a lucid dreaming teacher this is how you can truly benefit beings and i was like whoa like my spiritual side was like you have to do this and then the guy I'd seen when I first appeared, who was doing shots in the corner, like, again, this big, big energy. I was like, whoa, that, that must be my kind of hedonistic side. Because, you know, in the lucid dream, everything's you. What else is it, right? I knew it was all my mind. So I go to the other guy, and he's um, like doing shots in the corner. And I go over to him, and before I can say the question, he knows what I'm going to ask. I go, watch. He goes, he like shoves the um, uh, vodka bottle or whatever it was in it towards me. and goes, "Do throw down, man, throw down rocks. And I was like, okay. so my hedonistic side is like, no way. Stay in the hip hop scene. This is a good life. Sex, well, (laughs) actually at that time, it was just rock and roll. Sex and drugs have gone ages ago, but, you know, rock and roll. Um, And then I asked two of the other people who weren't kind of archetypes. They were just kind of single characters. And they both sided with the spiritual guy. They said, yeah, you should do uh, lucid dreaming. So then I thought... Okay, I've got the message. But again, I didn't wake up. I was like, where's the punchline to this dream? This lucid dream is going on for so long. So I decided to leave the house. I thought, well, I've spoken to everyone I want to speak to. So I left the house. I'm walking down the street thinking, this is so weird, this lucid dream just keeps going. Where's the punchline? And then I turn around over my shoulder look her back at the house and all the archetypes or the two archetypes I spoke to and the other people are at the window watching me through the curtains. And when they see me, they go, good luck, Charlie. They start blowing it, good luck, good luck. You can do it, you can do it. (laughs) And uh, it's like moving now actually, but I woke up crying. And um, you know, it's a funny dream but it was a sense of this, you know, 25 year old not being confident enough to move into this new career asking this question to his mind and then the mind being like you can do it um and then the cool thing would be oh the next day I gave up throwdown no it took about six months to ease out of that and to start working out how I could get some income from the workshops and stuff but within six months I had stopped throwdown and was full-time doing the lucid dreaming stuff yeah
0: that is just crazy yeah and and when you said these are all these characters here. They're a part of me because, yeah, well,
1: I'm in what, my mind. What I'm else I'm in my
0: mind. That's such a that's such a good point. Um, and so you found the answer within. I love that. That's 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 the kind of thing that really attracts me. Yeah, I want to be able to. I feel like I need to reread your book to get to to re remember how to do it because I have big questions that I want to ask. I'm interested to know about your background,
1: mm-hmm.
0: partly kind of how you got into lucid dreaming and also your spiritual background and how it's brought you to where you are today. Could you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I got into lucid dreaming, um, ah, depends which story. I mean, the original the real one is I basically used to wet the bed till really late, till I was about six or seven. I was wearing nappies at bed. Uh, I was like, I I would put on the nappies myself. It's like, that's when you know you're too old for nappies, right? And it was just a thing. I would constantly wet the bed. And, you know, I remember going to a child psychologist and stuff as mum thinking, oh, is it some like deep-seated trauma or something like that? But I remember exactly what it was. I would have these dreams. And in the dream, I would really need to pee. And the, the like, feeling of needing to pee would wake me up in the dream. Uh, but then, and this is the trap, I would then know I was dreaming and search around the lucid dream looking for a toilet. And then I would find one and pee. That's the trap. Never pee in a lucid dream. And then I'd wet the bed and I'd wake up. And then I remember telling my mom this and her saying, oh, well, next time, could you wake yourself up fully before you need to pee? And I went, no, because then the wolves will get me. And I was scared that like wolves lived under my bed. I don't know. That was my thing. That that's why I wouldn't get up in the middle of the night. So she said, if I give you a night light, will that scare the wolves? And I said, like, yeah. And I literally stopped wetting the bed like overnight when they just plugged in this little light. It kind of went into the plug socket in this little light. Um, but anyway. That's the first time I remember like having lucid dreams. So I think just that kind of bladder control thing. Uh, and then the other story, which is more kind of the, the one that I usually tell when I'm less embarrassed by the peeing story mm. is for my 12th birthday. Um, I asked for something called a Nova Dreamer, which is like this electronic sleep mask that you strap to your face and it recognizes rapid eye movement. And then when it recognizes them, it flashes red lights. And I've got I've got some now as an adult. And you spend like, you know, two weeks dreaming of red traffic lights. Then eventually you're like, red traffic lights. Oh, that's the lights flashing through my eyelids. I'm dreaming. Mm-hmm. And you can get lucid that way. And my dad confirmed this. I thought it might be a false memory. But he's like, yeah, I remember you asked me for that in the gadget section of the Sunday Times newspaper. Um, so I don't know. I know when I was 11, I was like, knew what lucid dreaming was. and was trying to have them. Uh, and then, I don't know, in a childhood memory, it's so difficult. And then I remember when I was 15, then I remember that's when I read a lucid dreaming book exploring the world of lucid dreaming with Stephen LaBerge. And then I was like, okay, so you do this, you write down your dream, you do reality checks, you fall asleep doing a certain affirmation. So yeah, like 16 was when I kind of taught myself how to do it. Um, and then yeah, got into lucid dreaming, managed to have them, started to have them regularly, probably because I had this ability to do it as a kid. So it kind of came back quite naturally. But you know, 16 is before I get into Buddhism. So I was just using them for the lucid dream for like sex and skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, And I did get really good at skateboarding, actually, which is interesting, kind of neural pathways. The other thing, not so much, but the skateboarding, (laughs) skateboarding, got very good at it. So I was just using that, like, to just mess about skateboarding, you know, uh, uh, sexual stuff in the dreams. Then when I'm like uh, 18, I get into Buddhism, and they start talking about a thing called dream yoga, which is like this ancient, thousand-year-old practice called Milam Naljor in Tibetan. Tibetan. that's the Tibetan term for it, which uses lucid dreaming as preparation for death, exploration of the empty nature of reality, uh, and to do your spiritual practice while you sleep. And I heard that, and it was this penny drop moment of like, whoa, this thing that I've been doing for a couple of years now, and I'm actually pretty good at, uh, has these amazing benefits. And these amazing benefits come from this tradition that I'm really getting into. Because uh, I was into like Shaolin Kung Fu, and I was listening to a lot of Wu Tang Clan which I mistakenly believed were getting their samples from Buddhist uh, philosophy. It's actually Taoist philosophy, but I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was Buddhist samples they were using. So suddenly Wu-Tang Clan, Shaolin, Lucid Dreaming. I thought like, Buddhism's super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then got really into Buddhism. Uh, there was a kind of near-death experience that, it, it, you know, expedited this whole process. Because um, before Buddhism, it was really, then it really was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And um, that kind of came to a head with this big... Ah, like overdose and this classic near death experience with a tunnel of light and all of that, which, you know, if I had now with all these, uh, you know, supporting practices, I might even look forward to such an experience, but at 17, it was deeply, deeply traumatic. And I had these terrible, terrible nightmares about that I was still in the near death. I was dying. Basically i had them just constantly for like four months after the event. And at that time, I had seen in the lucid dreaming books, especially that first one I read, that you could use lucid dreaming to cure nightmares. That if you could become lucid in the recurring nightmare and turn to face your fear, either face it or transform it, um, then you could kind of end your nightmares. And I eventually did manage to do this. And the nightmares, like four months of classic PTSD nightmares stopped after one lucid dream. And then that furthered the getting into Buddhism because I then became kind of obsessed with death after I'd had this near death experience in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, that's where you have the Tibetan Book of the dead. It's like the most wonderfully morbid form of Buddhism where you're constantly exploring the death and dying processes as a way to kind of live more fully. Mm. So, yeah. And then I ended up living in a Buddhist temple for seven years and yeah, all of that.
0: Wow. <laughs> for those listening who might think, yeah, I've lucidly, I've, I've dreamt lucidly before, but this all sounds a little bit woo-woo. I'm not that much of a spiritual person. Is this still for me? Mm. What would you say to that?
1: Like the spiritual aspects of lucid dreaming are probably the least uh, well-researched and least kind of important to most people. Uh, The two parts of lucid dreaming that have the most research is sports science and trauma integration. And the sports science one is great. You know, they basically check how many squats you can do in the daytime. They teach this group of athletes lucid dreaming. In the lucid dream, they're doing their squats, then they check them the next day and they increase their PB. They did the same with martial arts training and stuff like that and found that basically you can get better at physical activity in the waking state by training in the lucid dream. Um, That's not only super cool for any athletes listening, but think what that means. That means that through lucid dreaming, you can actually rewire your brain as you sleep. And it's literally rewiring because when you become lucid, the prefrontal cortex becomes reactivated. And with that neuroplasticity, So whatever you do in the lucid dream is actually creating these new neural pathways in your brain. And this study that came out in 2015, one of the kind of coolest ones to mention, they found that lucid dreamers actually have bigger brains because there's a part of the brain to do with like um, uh, insight and out-of-the-box thinking. And lucid dreamers are stimulating that so much at night because they're becoming lucid and doing kind of -of out-of-the-box things. They actually said it was just the act of becoming lucid. Being aware in a state of which you are normally non-aware increases blood flow to this part of the brain. And because of that, the gray matter density increased and the part of the brain was bigger. So, I mean, you can actually change your brain while you sleep. Um, So what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to use lucid dreaming for? Again, anything you treat with hypnotherapy, you can treat through lucid dreaming. Whether it's practicing that speech that you've got to give, whether it's asking big questions, whether it's getting better at athletic discipline, whether it's practicing kindness, you know, if you practice kindness and compassion in a lucid dream, it's not like you're dreaming it. it's like you're doing it as far as the brain is concerned. And the brain will start to lay down these neural pathways, meaning that kindness and compassion are more easily engaged in the waking state too. So, yeah, it's definitely not just a spiritual thing. I mean, I like that, but it's also, it's got really kind of ground-level benefits.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you cover so much of this in your books and your courses, but maybe give us a couple of examples. What, what, what are the things to do to make yourself lucid?
1: Sure. So let's do the four D's. So this is like four basic techniques people can start today. The first D is dream planning. So we've mentioned this before. Have a plan for what you want to do in your first or next lucid dream. And I'd say actually like write it out and draw a picture of it. Like a little kind of manifestation board thing. It's like a kind of an art therapy thing. But the act of actually writing down in my next lucid dream, I want to call out the question, what should I do career wise? Mm-hmm. Uh, once I call that out in the dream, an answer will be given to me in a clear and concise way that I remember fully upon awakening. You know, like writing a hypnotic script, write exactly the perfect lucid dream you want. Then maybe draw a little stick man figure of yourself, a speech bubble calling out, what career path should I take? You know, it'll seem kind of silly when you're doing it. But what we're doing is creating this kind of uh, future action that we want to manifest through words and through symbols, through drawing, mm-hmm. which is Often these images and words are how the dream manifests. Um, so make a dream plan. Second thing, once you got a plan of what you want to do in your lucid dream, the next thing is dream recall. Like unless you regularly remember your dreams, you're going to be unlikely to have lucid dreams. Because lucid dreaming is essentially based on knowing the dreamscape so well that you can recognize the dreamscape while you're in it. So you want to recall your dreams because then you can see, oh yeah, I often dream of being on that beach we used to go to as a kid. or I often dream of... Uh, being in my childhood family home, or I often dream my dead grandma. Once you start creating these connections of remembering what you dream about, you're more likely to remember that you're dreaming in the next dream. You know, The next time you're dreaming about your dead grandmother, this is mm. what we call lucidity trigger will go off. My dead grandma, I dream of her. Oh, whoa, this is actually a dream right now. So the first basis is dream recall. And for people who think they don't dream, there's no way to stop the human brain from dreaming. We all dream every night, unless you've you know, stayed awake all night. Um, so you are dreaming, it's just whether you remember your dreams. And how to do that is to fall asleep, doing like a self-hypnotic suggestion. So if you fall asleep tonight, you're in the hypnagogic state, which is that kind of falling asleep state, and be reciting over and over again. Tonight I remember my dreams, I have excellent dream recall. Tonight I remember my dreams, I have excellent dream recall. As you're falling asleep, that'll be a really good way to remember. Next D. Dream diaries. So this is waking up in the morning and writing down your dreams. Like it could be in your phone, could be a notebook, whatever you want, but like document your dreams in some way. Why? Number one, writing it down helps to solidify it into your memory. Lucid dreaming is really a memory game. You know, you need to remember what you're dreaming about so much that when you're next dreaming, you remember what you're dreaming about. So write down the dreams. Um, Also, the reason we write down the dreams is the spot patterns, so again, you write down the dream, then you start seeing, you look through the dream and you are D, you check the dream sign. So what in this dream could indicate, I'll oh, dream that case on, walking down the street in Bermondsey with my dog Waffles, looking through the dream. Hey, okay, no dream signs like that. That actually happens all the time. But the next night, maybe I have a dream. I'm walking down the street with my dog Waffles. At the end of the street, I see uh, Donald Trump standing next to a blue dragon. And I'm like, okay, Donald Trump, he's a dream sign. He's not in my everyday life. Blue dragon. That's an impossible thing. That's not my everyday life. So you start kind of noting like the weird things that happen in your dreams and just the act of noting them is often enough. Uh, but then the next night, if you want to add something to it, you go, okay, so tonight, if I dream of Donald Trump, I know, if, sorry, if I see Donald Trump between now and breakfast, I know that I'm dreaming. If I see a blue dragon between now and breakfast, I know that I'm dreaming You kind of give the mind these goals and that goal orientated part of the brain will stay engaged even throughout sleep and dream. And eventually you'll be in a dream. Donald Trump will appear again. And this lucidity trigger will go off. And you're like, Donald Trump. It's so When it goes off, it's so strange. The feeling of a lucidity trigger going off is deja vu. Yes. So you're in the dream and you get like, whatever. Donald Trump appears and you've got to sing. Oh, I swear I'm so, oh, so weird. I swear I've been here before. <laughs> I'm supposed to remember something when I see Donald. Oh, he's my dream sign. Bam. And you become lucid. It's so fun when it works. It's like so you know, it's so joyful when you wake up from a lucid dream. and People are like, are you tired when you wake up? you are not tired, you're buzzing. You're like, oh, this is so cool. I actually was in my dream, but I knew I was dreaming. Do you lucidly dream every night? No. Is that out of choice? Uh, no, it's out of not doing the practice. Ah. So I'm not a natural lucid dreamer. So uh, I had, I mean, I know I've said, oh, since really young. Yeah, I had that as a kid, but as an adult, no. If I don't do the techniques, I don't get lucid so like you know I don't know last month when I was doing a four day retreat in a uh, four day and four night retreat in Venice and there's 50 other people expecting me to get lucid every night okay we're doing the practice you know <laughs> we're getting there but you know I've just come back from tour so I mean I did actually get lucid la- the night before last but that was I think probably because my sleep cycles adjusted uh, so no I get lucid when I do the practices Um, which when I'm teaching is like a lot because I'm on duty when I'm not teaching like, no, someone just want a glass of wine before bed. Um, So you can kind of switch it on and not switch it off. I can just switch it on. Mm. But if I don't no, it's not engaged. I'm not one of those one in a hundred natural lucid dreamers, which I think makes me quite a good teacher because if I could just do it naturally, how would I know the struggle? Whereas I might have full on droughts. Like I might have like two months of no lucidity. I'm doing all the techniques And I'm thinking, God, what a fraud. You know, I'm turning up teaching people, but it's just sometimes the causes and conditions weren't right. My sleep wasn't right or I had, you know, some stressful thing going on in my life. Uh, And then I'll have a real breakthrough and then I'll start getting lucid every night again. And then I'll kind of, you know, get lazy, stop doing the practice, I'll stop having lucid dreams. Um, So no, I kind of, uh, I have to work for it. So,
0: and I think that's a good point, if you're not a naturally lucid dreamer, Mm. it is a practice that you have to be consistent with if you want to do it frequently and I guess guess, get the most from it.
1: Yeah. And they're peak experiences. So even when you're doing the practice regularly, if you're having like a lucid dream a week, that's great. If you're having like 50 to 60 lucid dreams a year, you're in the top like one to 2% of lucid dreamers in the world. Uh, unless you're like a natural who's having them all the time right so these are peak experiences when we first begin if we're having a lucid dream a month or something that's great Mm. but i mean think what you can do in a lucid dream in a single lucid dream as we found with the ptsd study people were having such powerful trauma integration their ptsd score was dropping off the scale so really just one lucid dream can change your life so you might think oh one a month or one a week that's not very much yeah, but imagine if you're getting 50 of those experiences a year or even 12 a year, one a month. That's huge. The work that can be done there. Even things with, like, phobias for someone. Again, another really kind of ground-level one. If anyone listening is scared of spiders or has a fear of heights. Okay. Raise his hand. <laughs> okay, so I did the spider one. This is so cool. Like, if you throw a spider at me now, I'm getting out of the way. Yeah. But I could now pick it up in my hand and take it outside. There's no way I could have done that a few years back. And the spider one's a great example, right? So it's basically working in the same way as exposure therapy is and CBT and other forms of therapy. Uh, but in the lucid dream, it's like a closed circuit. As far as the brain's concerned, you're awake. Once the prefrontal cortex activates, the brain doesn't think you're dreaming. The brain thinks you're in this wakeful state. So if in your next lucid dream, you can fear fearlessly interact with a spider. So in the lucid dream, oh, this little spider, pick it up and let it crawl up your arm. It'll still, it's weird because you feel fright, but it's not this deep kind of suffering of fear because you're like, it's a bit sc- hang on, this isn't really my arm and it's not really a spider. My body is asleep in bed, it's safe. This is just like a virtual reality simulator. So it's about as scary as, you know, watching a, a scary movie or something, that level of fright. But every moment that you're allowing the spider to crawl up your arm in a lucid dream and you're not brushing off and you're not freaking out is a moment where the brain is necessarily having to rewire itself. The easiest way to engage neuroplasticity is novel action, doing something new, never been done before. So the brain has to create a new dendrite to create the new uh, uh, root in the brain. So every moment that you're fearlessly interacting with a spider is a moment the brain's rewiring itself out of that phobia, arachnophobia, and into a lack of fear of spiders. And for anyone calling bullshit on this, you just test it the next day. The next day, go and look at some pictures of spiders or go and find a spider. And if your startle response has lessened uh, and your fear response has lessened, you know it's working. If not, maybe you need to try another lucid dream. But all the studies show that you can, we've got hard, hard science on this. Trauma integration, working with phobias, uh, increased performance in the waking state. Um, Oh, increased insight too. They've shown that just people who just have lucid dreams seem to have better waking state insight. Because again, if you train the mind to, uh, be aware in a state of which you are normally non-aware, that habit flows into the waking state. So suddenly in like relationships that you were sleepwalking through, boom, yeah. you become lucid. You have these embarrassing moments where you'll be in the middle of an argument with your partner. I don't know about the, re- taking the recycling out or something like that. And you can actually become lucid in your projection. So you're like, but it's always, anyway, anytime you say always, you know you're project, right? But it's always the same with the recycling. And you'll have this moment of like in lucidity and you keep speaking, and it's so embarrassing, but you've noticed, oh, it's not about them. It's about my dad. <laughs> this is like a deep childhood thing, and it's being triggered by my partner not taking out the recycling. Oh my and God. then, of course, you have the moment of going, sorry, I'm projecting right now. It's nothing to do with you. It's about my dad. And they will laugh and call you a hippie and blah, 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 blah. Really, lucid dreaming, if you have enough lucid dreams, it starts to flow into the waking state, and you start to become more lucid in your everyday life. And that's the real benefit from a Buddhist point of view, too
0: because most of us are sleepwalking. Yeah, we're sleepwalking, right? So, um, final question. What's the kind of most freaking amazing thing that's happened in one of your lucid dreams that you're willing to share? I'm thinking like, I don't know, some kind of huge mind-expanding thing, if there is such a thing.
1: Who knows? I mean, this is like, this is, I do get asked this question a lot, so you think I'd have like an answer. It's like asking a chef their favorite meal. (laughs) It's such a big question. I'll always give a different one. And today, oh, cool. We've asked about big questions. So let's do the big question. This is a really big one. So in living in a Buddhist temple and all this stuff about Buddhism, they're always talking about love and compassion, love and compassion. And I was like, but what does it mean? Like, what, what do we mean by compassion? What is the essence of compassion? So I made this dream plan that I was going to get lucid and call out to the dream, show me the essence of compassion. And I thought, I know it'll just be from my mind, but I wonder what my mind would make of that, how it would respond. So I get lucid and I call out in the dream, show me the essence of compassion. I want, oh no, I want to experience the essence of compassion. No, no, sorry. Show me the essence of compassion. Show me the essence of compassion. And uh, I call this out and I don't know what movie it is. I think it's like Life of Brian or something, but this big uh, God hand came down into the dream, like it's comedy hand and picked me up by my ankles and i whoop. Pulled me out of the dream and I flew out through the sky, through the space. I was like, this is nuts. Like, what the hell is this? This is weird God hand. I was kind of laughing as it went. I was, ah! And then I got pulled up, 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 up through like layers of reality and then boom into this like huge like space void. And again, you can interpret it as you go. I was like, what the hell has this got to do with the essence of compassion? And then in this darkness, these like little bits of light start twinkling. And I was like, "Whoa, is it going to be like the beginning of the universe or something? That would be a cool answer. But no, it was sparkling. There were these little images appearing and it was like a scroll. Like, you know how they used to like roll up things to read, right? So there's a scroll that appears just hanging in space like a few meters in front of me. And the scroll drops a little bit and it says clearly on it, Charlie Morley's Certificate of Lovability. And I was like, what? And then it went whoop, and it dropped down and there was in reverse order every kind thing I had ever done for myself and anyone. I can only remember the first three because it was so long. But the first one was me opening a door to this woman who needed help with something. And I was like, well, I did that today. And then mm-hmm. I looked down and as I'm reading it, then suddenly all these the sparkles appear everywhere else and all these other scrolls appear with people's names on them. I didn't recognize the names, but like names, like an English name and then a name of like a nationality I didn't understand. Then the whole space becomes full of these scrolls and they all start dropping. And they've got in... It was some I don't know what languages were, but the ones I could read in English had like these lists of everything kind anyone had ever done. And then the whole space became infused in that and I woke up. And I was like, whoa. So that's compassion. The essence of compassion, or oh, this is my interpretation. The essence of compassion is that the universe is watching. And that every time you've done anything kind, it's noting it. And it's got this scroll. And it's so happy. It's like so happy that you're helping each other. And it 's taken note, and everyone 's got this scroll, and i don 't know maybe when we die we see the scroll or something I don't know, but that was it, and it had such a big impact on me and every time i mean every time I do, I do open a door for someone, I have this little thing oh, take note, yeah, so hope the universe saw that one you know its kind of a silly thing, but that was nice, that really had a big big impact on me
0: gosh, um Charlie, this has been so fascinating um for those listening, if they want to learn more, or find out more, where would you direct them to?
1: My website, charliemorley.com where I'm on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, I've got four books. Two of them are about lucid dreaming. Uh, the new one, Wake Up to Sleep, that's about the stress and trauma-affected sleep stuff. So that's all the stuff with the veterans and everything. And then I've got a book called Dreaming Through Darkness, which is like Jungian shadow integration too. But yeah, you'll find me. Uh, apparently, actually, if you Google Charlie Lucid, apparently all my stuff comes up. This Italian guy, couldn't remember how to spell my last name. And he said, oh, you just put Charlie Lucid, all your stuff comes up. So Charlie Lucid into Google seems to work.
0: And just tell me a bit about the classes and the retreats and the courses that you do.
1: Yeah, so I've got these kind of the four-day intensives, which are like lucid dreaming boot camp. And during the day, we're doing kind of meditation and workshops and learning how to lucid dream. Then if you choose the first half of the night, you sleep in your room. And then there's optional that at 3.30 in the morning, you wake up and you go into the like sacred sleeping area where you have bed number two. And then I'm your human alarm clock. And I'll guide you through a guided meditation back into sleep. And I'll wake you a couple of hours later. Everyone's writing down their dreams, writing down their experiences. Then I'll guide you back in. And mm. I'll do that like four times a night. Um, not everyone has to do that. Some people choose to stay in their room. It's totally optional. But it's a really good way to kind of, basically, if you fall asleep once and wake up once in the morning, you've got one chance. Mm. Some crazy guy wakes you up four times a night. You just quadrupled your chances of getting lucid so it's about kind of maximizing the chance of people having their first lucid dream on that retreat a very high when we use that protocol
0: and where do you do these
1: oh everywhere um in the uk at holy isle which is a little island off a little island off the coast of scotland um italy spain france america canada um,
0: and I guess they were listed on your website, yeah exactly
1: okay. yeah i 'm having a little bit of a different year next year because i 've just like basically been on tour for the last ten years and i 'm forty in ten days and that that combined with my mum dying and combined with my first book having its ten year anniversary, I was like whoa i 've been on this for like ten years straight, and i don 't need to be teaching every weekend anymore." Um, I can do less and be better when I do it. So yes, there will still be lots of workshops and retreat next year, but less than this year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it'll be updated on the okay. website.
0: Charlie, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been absolutely brilliant.
1: The pleasure has been mine. Thank you.